As we continue our back to the basic sermon series, today we have, uh, we have two scriptures and then we have a, a special dialogue planned for this morning. The first text is from the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 16, beginning with verse 6. And this is when Samuel is looking for the next king of Israel. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then we turn to our second text, which is in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Here ends the reading. We ask God's blessing upon the reading of his word. I'd like to invite uh, Crystal and Donovan to come and join me here on the, the chancel. We're going to do something uh, that we actually did last year, MLK Weekend, and that is we're going to have a, uh, a panel discussion uh, for the message. And uh, so I hope that it will, it will get you thinking and that it will be beneficial. This is a part of our Back to the Basics uh, series here in, in January, and obviously we're working off of those two uh, scriptures uh, from 1 Samuel and then from, uh, from Galatians. Uh, first of all, let me introduce our, uh, our guest this morning. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Crystal Williams has been the uh, regional minister and president of the Christian Church in Tennessee for 17 months now. And so would you join me just in welcoming her uh, here to Woodmont? And then somebody who is a familiar face to, to Woodmont, Donovan Maccabee, is our minister for spiritual formation. He also teaches on the religion faculty at Belmont. So uh, let's welcome Donovan to the 11 o'clock service because he's usually not here. I want to uh, begin with a, with a story. Uh, two, two weeks ago, I was in Memphis to do a wedding uh, over New Year's, on New Year's Eve, for some Woodmont members that uh, are, the, the bride grew up in Memphis. And so I was back in my uh, hometown, and on Saturday, uh, my brother uh, and my sister-in-law and I took uh, a couple of hours, and we went to the Civil Rights Museum. And um, if you've never been to Memphis and to the Civil Rights Museum, it, I would highly recommend it. It's, it's very, very good. But they've added different things to the Civil Rights Museum since, since I was last there. And so we really enjoyed uh, walking through it and seeing the exhibits and, and, and just looking at the, the story that it tells about our nation and especially uh, from, the, from the 60s and the, the time of the Civil Rights Movement and all the way up until uh, modern day. And so I got to thinking um, after, after doing that, that in so many ways we've come so far. Uh, we've come so far in terms of racial relations and in terms of uh, breaking down walls and barriers, and yet we all know that there is still 
a lot of work left to do. Uh, that we still see instances in our culture, like what happened this past year in Charlottesville and even here in Middle Tennessee, where we know that we still have a, a ways to go. And so we can reflect back and celebrate the progress that we've made as a culture, but we also have to acknowledge as people of faith that there's still more work to do in, uh, in, 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 in knocking down barriers and walls, especially as it relates to race. I want to share to begin a couple of, of my favorite uh, MLK quotes, and then I'm going to let uh, Donovan and Crystal join in. Some of the things that Dr. King said, he said, life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Courage is the power of the mind to overcome fear. Character is how you treat those who can do nothing for you. The ultimate measure of a person is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. Um, Dr. Williams and, and Donovan, how would, how would you respond to this statement that we have come a long way as a culture, but we still uh, have a ways to go uh, in this area of race relations? Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you to Dr. Stauffer for this invitation and to all of you. And I'm thinking 50 years ago, I wouldn't be sitting here as your regional minister. It just wouldn't be. And so when I take a look at where I've been over the last 17 months from the throes of the Mississippi Delta, Memphis, DeSoto County, Mississippi, all the way up to Bristol, Tennessee, um, not on a pony like back in the day, <laughs> but um, the churches in between, how I weave in and weave out of some of our towns and our, our congregations, um, it says that we have come a long way. Um, people have welcomed me, it's been wonderful at the churches, and we've come a long way. I also know that we have further to go. Hmm. Um, well, I think, Clay, when I got the email, did you ask me by email or text? I can't remember. I don't uh, remember either. He usually makes difficult invitations, uh, not face-to-face. -face. I don't know if that's your experience <laughs> with Clay. But um, my initial reaction was a little reticence. I don't think I shared that with you. But um, as, as a white guy with a very southern tongue, uh, if you haven't noticed, um, I, I think in our culture, um, white men hold forth their opinions on a lot of things. And my feeling is when we look at our history, when we look at the legacy of Dr. King, Medgar Evers, Rosa Parks, um, that uh, white folk would do well uh, to shut up and listen more than speak sometimes. And so the idea that I'm going to speak about race is a, is a daunting, sort of, sort of scary thing for me. Um, uh, and, uh, and yet, how can we not engage that's, the, that's, that's what we must do as the church as well. We must listen uh, and also speak what we believe to be the truth of the gospel. One of the things that I think we can, that's a danger in patting ourselves on the back for too long is that we can make the assumption that time serves growth and good things. And in Dr. King's letter from Birmingham Jail, he reminds us um, time is neutral. We are called to 
make time something redemptive. And I think that's where we must understand there's so much to be done. To take, learn from the lessons of the past, learn from the hope that those civil yeah. rights leaders like Dr. King had, knowing that their death might be imminent and yet still proclaimed the injustices and the truths um, that we're still living in the echo of today. I was, um, I was thinking when I was at the Civil Rights Museum and I was walking through there, and just to think about the reality um, of Rosa Parks and somebody saying, you go to the back of the bus because of your skin color, or to tell uh, kids, you can't use this restroom because of your skin color, you can't use this water fountain because of your, your skin color. And it really wasn't all that long ago in the big picture of, of, of history. And so these, uh, these divisions uh, create deep wounds. And it does take us a long time to work through those wounds and to continue to, to, to build the bridges, to, to build the relationships. And so, Dr. Williams, I'm curious, you've, you've now had uh, 17 months, about 18 months to be the regional minister of Tennessee, and you've, you've traveled the state, and you've seen lots of different churches and lots of different uh, uh, ministers. So, so what are you seeing out there that, that's being done to, to help build these, uh, build bridges and, and to use faith as a mechanism for, uh, for, for making uh, race relations better? I think first and foremost, we have to understand that racism or inequality is not just a societal problem. It's a sin, and um, we cannot expect the government, our senators, or representatives to fix a problem that starts at the heart, and that God continues to call us as the church, yes, I'm giving us a homework assignment, to um, do the thing that we've been charged to do, which is to work out the heart situation. And so um, we've seen groups and coalitions come together to try to work on issues of racism and injustice. But I think it's gonna be one person at a time, one group at a time, one book study at a time. Those who are willing to be vulnerable, those who are willing to be open, um, those who are willing to swim past their fears and their idiosyncrasies to say, hey, yes, I'm willing to get to know another person who doesn't look like me, act like me, or think like me. I was watching the movie, I think it was New Year's Day, uh, Remember the Titans. How many of you have seen that? It's a hard movie to watch, but I absolutely love that movie because there's one, there's a part in there when um, they're, they're playing on the field and the coach, grab, the white coach grabs them and he says, you know, today they're gonna remember that they played the Titans. You know, that's like my favorite line because it moves past all barriers. When they were in Valley Forge as one team that didn't look at color or where they came from, but they were one team with one common goal in mind, which was to come together in a way that would help them win some games. And that night when he says, remember, you hate the Titans. All idiosyncrasies, color, things that uh, served as detours and barriers were washed away. And I think we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to remember that no matter what it looks like, we're here together. Nobody's getting on a boat to go back to Africa. Nobody's getting on a boat to go back to Norway. 
we're all here. We're all here together. And so we have to work it out. Wow. Well, that'll preach. Um, what was the question? I, uh, remember. You, remember. <laughs> you know, um, for me, I think um, there have been key relationships yes. that have taught me a lot. There have been key texts. Um, I teach a class over at Belmont called The Christ Haunted South, Grace, Place, and Race in Southern Literature. And in that text, when we get to the race, race part, we begin with a book by uh, Dr. James Cone, who is a professor at Union Theological Seminary in New York City, where our good friend Tulu went. And um, Dr. Cone grew up uh, in Fordyce, Arkansas. He was born in 1936. And the text that we read for this class is called A Black Theology of Liberation. And he wrote it when he was an angry young black man, a brilliant angry young black man, late 60s into the early 70s. And growing up in the South, being told nonviolence is the way, nonviolence is the way by Martin Luther King Jr., as he got a little older, he heard Malcolm X's message that white folk aren't going to just hand it over. You've got to take it by force sometimes. And so he's a young, brilliant theologian listening to Martin on one hand, Malcolm on another. And in this text, he sometimes says, I think Malcolm might have it more right. And when we read that class, that text at Belmont, I'm sitting in a class of primarily white students, and he's throwing around whitey this, whitey that. And, and, and it makes students uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable still reading it. Um, but if you listen to your discomfort, why am I uncomfortable? What is it about his words that make me uncomfortable? You begin to see that we live in a culture that has perpetrated so much violence against our black members. And you and I, most of us, most of us in this room are white. And we get to think of ourselves as just humans. And we can pretend to ourselves that our black friends are just humans and our Asian friends are just humans and our Middle Eastern friends are just humans. But they don't experience America the same way. And so until we listen to the violence that our culture has, has perpetuated against people of color and until we begin to wrestle with the fact that many of us have done well in this life because of the color of our skin and that we have sometimes gain social and economic privileges because of our whiteness, until we begin to wrestle with that and say, that is a sin. That is a sin of our culture. How can we dismantle the sin of our culture? Until that begins to happen more frequently, then um, I'm afraid we're going to continue to perpetuate the sins of the fathers. Well, so, the, so I raised this question at the last, uh, at the 930 service. Um, so there are lots of folks in our, in our culture who say, um, I'm not racist. And, and some of them feel like they are being pointed to as being racist. And they would say, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not racist. And for whatever reason, people want to imply that, 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 I'm, that I'm racist. And there's always more that all of us can do to, to build bridges and to, uh, and to, to form friendships. And, and, and to, 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 but, but I think sometimes when, when people get accused of being racist when they don't, they genuinely don't believe that they are, mm -hmm. that, that, that it actually does more damage to the hope of moving forward mm -hmm. than we think. The other thing that I was going to say is the, is the role of fear in all of this is immense. I mean, in Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the beginning to the end, I, I see this message of be not afraid, 
overcome your fears, face your fears, and yet fear lies at the heart of so many of the divisions that we find in our country and in our world, and it certainly lies at the heart of, of, of racism. Mm -hmm. So how do, we how do we confront our fears and, and take on our fears so that we can continue to make strides in this direction? Mm -hmm. So I have like 15 things I wanna say. <laughs> the first one is fear, false evidence appearing real. It's easy to have false evidence appearing real against something or someone that you completely don't understand or are confused about. We tend to fear that which we don't understand. And so the only way to break that down and get rid of that is to be willing to cross over the lines, the, own, the fictitious lines, the fictitious barriers that keep us apart. Those that will say one group is better or has more than the other group. That's the foundation of racism, um, race prejudice, plus the misuse of power in systems and institutions. It's about the systems and institutions in our country, which were set up to benefit one group over another. And until we start dismantling those, fear is going to continue to be out there. Um, the second piece that I would share is when I think about James Cone, and, he, there's a 30th anniversary edition to the mm -hmm. book that you're talking about. There's a, a portion in that book that talks about when we understand, when white people understand that racism and injustice and inequality just doesn't affect people of color. But in the end, it affects us all. That if I'm not doing well, none of us in the end, it has the power to destroy us mm -hmm. all. So I was saying in the 930 service that I have a group of folks, a group of friends who I meet with, and um, I'm really close to them, and I pose this important question. So what do you do when you wake up in the morning? You know, what are, what are some of your steps? And my dear friend, she says, well, I stumble out of bed, and then I go into the bathroom, and I look in the mirror, and I say, look at all these wrinkles. And she said, so what do you do? I said, well, I stumble, I really stumble out of bed because I'm a night owl. And I go into the bathroom and I wash my face and then I look at my face twice. I look at it twice because I have to prepare this skin to go out there. And she was aghast. What do you mean? I said, because out there for me, represents something totally different than it does for you. So I have to make sure that this skin is in alignment with what's happening out there. And until we come together and have deeper conversation around issues like that, we're gonna continue to see some of the things that we're seeing um, in the world today. And I, I said to pastor, I said, um, I'm not looking at what they're doing out in the government and all that stuff. I'm looking at what God is calling us to do. And God is calling us and asking us to be willing to break down the barriers unlike we've ever seen it before. Because racism is a hard issue and we have the ability and the power to do that. Thanks. Um, I think when, when I think about the fear and the way that the fear can stop us from speaking, can stop us from stumbling and being uh, wrong, uh, I'm aware that there's a camera on me right now. And I'm aware if I say something stupid, 
Uh, if I make a misstatement, that clip could be taken. It could be posted on social media and I could lose my tenured position over across the hill. Um, I know you would, you would go to bat for me and say he, he was just making a mistake because you don't want me to ask for a full-time job here again. <laughs> but when I think about that idea of fear and the idea of, oh, I'm not racist, I think of the, uh, the, the great Jewish thinker Abraham Joshua Heschel who said, uh, it's, a, it's a quote many of us have heard, he said, few are guilty, but all are responsible. What are we going to do with the responsibility that's given to us when it comes to this sin in our culture? And it does take deep relationships to step out beyond our fear and, and be willing to say some stuff that might be judged foolish. Um, I had a friend in seminary. Uh, I don't know if he would think me, of me as a friend, but the way he was towards me, he was a friend to me. His name's James Logan. Um, he was a PhD student at Princeton Seminary. Uh, he was from Harlem, and uh, he's now a professor at Earlham College of Religion. And I was a lowly MDiv student. And some, I don't even know how it happened, but he and I would began this dialogue on race. And we would get heated, very heated. We would get so heated sometimes at the lunch table that people would avoid our table if they saw we were going at it. But I felt free enough to him to tell him what I really thought. And he felt free enough with me to tell me what I really thought. And I'll tell you, I was transformed by my engagement with him. He changed my mind on some things. I changed his mind on some, probably fewer, because he was miles ahead of me in that conversation then. Still is. But one of the things that he brought home for me was exactly what you were just talking to, that the experience of my brothers and sisters who, who are black and brown and who are Asian and who are different colors, that their experience in this country isn't the same as, as mine. And if I can begin to listen and have sympathy for that, then it affects the way I engage with this issue uh, and, and the way that I am in the world. Well, I, um, I had the chance to serve a church in New York during seminary at Riverside Church. And Riverside was, as a congregation, probably 70% African-American and 30% Caucasian. The first time in my life, born and raised in Tennessee, went to college in Texas, the first time in my life I got the chance to feel what, what it's like to be in the minority. And that was an eye-opening experience for me to see what, what that, that feels like. Things that I read now, it seems like our culture is becoming more and more fragmented in the age of digital, social media, digital age. More people are hanging out with people that are like them and that agree with them, and we're creating these silos or echo chambers where we just kind of pat ourselves on the back and say, yeah, we're right and everybody else is wrong. So one of the questions that I have is how can, in this age in which we live, where a lot of people that are of like mind are, are, are banding together, how can we begin to continue the dialogue and to build the friendships that do make a difference and that do open the doors to conversation about this? I was sitting here because I probably had 1,375,000 conversations around what it means for us to be together. And I still draw down on the same thing. The first one being, we have to understand that God is calling us back to a place of prayer, repentance. Mm. Not for what you've done or what I've done, but for what we have seen and experienced in this country. And then we have to have an honest and healthy way of dialoguing with one another about our fears, about our hopes, and our dreams. 
and we've got to um, let this conversation transcend uh, socioeconomic background, uh, career, um, church, street that you're living on. We've got to say yes to a vulnerable conversation with one another. Because if we don't, we're going to tear this world apart, this country. I'm just putting it where the goats can get it, down to brass tacks now. If we don't have these conversations, we're going to continue to see more of the same. And I don't think we emotionally, spiritually, financially can support it. We have to stop the madness. And that means being willing for us to come together and just share. Well, one thing that I would say is that this topic of race, I, I believe in my heart, should transcend partisanship. It should yes. transcend party. Yes. That, that this is a, you said it, this is a spiritual issue. This mm -hmm. is not a, you know, this is not a political issue. This is something that as Christians, if we take the scriptures that we read this morning seriously, and if we take the, the teachings of Jesus seriously, then we're called to, to see past somebody's appearance and how they look on the outside. Mm -hmm. And, and, and uh, there's so many ways that, that, that we can do that and should do that. But it, but it should not, you know, there's some just empirical facts in life. One of them is you don't judge people by the way that they look, <laughs> uh, things that they can't help. Um, and, and, and those are realities that we need to realize. Or it's, it's not about being liberal or conservative. or It's, it's about being, you know, morally right yes. and, and, and getting to love each other for who's on the inside. I think I cut mm. you off, Tom. Oh, I don't know, man. Um, whew. How do you start, you know? Um, well, hopefully, it's, when we have talks like this, it's yeah. a way for it to start. I think, I think part of the problem, I think, is our conception of salvation in the American church. And, and I grew up um, in, a, in a small evangelical Southern Baptist church. And the deal is every week, you know, I have decided, hands up, raise your to follow <laughs> Jesus. I have, and there's a conception of salvation as a very individualistic thing. Does that make sense? The idea of salvation is I don't do this, I don't do this, I do this, I read my Bible, I pray, me and God, me and Jesus, we got our own thing, you know. But if we can pretend that we're all right with God and we can walk by our neighbor in the ditch and not do a thing about it, I really think we should question our understanding of salvation. If our conception of what God does in our life doesn't call us to extend hospitality to the neighbor who makes us uncomfortable, and by the way, everybody's your neighbor, then we should really revisit what we, who we believe God to be and who we believe God's calling us to be. We got to wind it down because we could do this all, all day. Um, I, I do want to say that, that we've had some folks in our church, like Rob Quinn's uh, Sunday school class has done a great job. Uh, I see the Whedon writes that there's a group of young adults who have intentionally forged a great relationship with Alameda Christian Church, and they've been there to worship many times, and we've had them here to worship. So there's some folks in our church that have done a great job of, of taking steps 
to, to have this dialogue. Alexis uh, Wagner uh, has been here for the last couple of years. She's done a great job. So I hope that we'll, we'll, we'll continue this. And I hope that there's anything that was said that today that you want to unpack or have conversation about. I know the three of us are open to that. And, um, and so let's close with a word of prayer. And thank you guys for, for being a part of this. Let's pray. Loving God, uh, help us to uh, hear the scripture. Uh, the words of First Samuel, the words of Galatians, that we're called to see the heart. We're called to get to know each other uh, for who we are, not for what we look like, not for what we have. And so teach us to have this conversation and to do everything we can to build bridges, to make friendships in this world that often feels very divided. Uh, amen.